back are some questions for your home, for reflection or for your own use. Small groups. Mentioned uh, in passing, uh, my boys are with their grandparents up the coast this morning. That's why there's not so many of us here this morning. My wife is um, on mission this morning, dancing with her friends, sharing the good news with them by being a good friend to them. So we pray for her this morning. If you're watching this morning through the video from home or you're listening to us through the podcast or you're listening to us through RIM FM 100.1, good morning. Welcome to our worship today. My name is David. It's my great privilege to be the pastor here and to share with you the good news about Jesus. I want to talk to you this morning about the Ford Apocrypha. Uh, This is a story that's commonly told and it's often told about Henry Ford. Henry Ford was the first, one of the first manufacturers to use um, conveyor belts and manufacturing lines. He famously said, you can have any colour car you want as long as it's... Famously didn't actually say that. That's one of the things that's been made up about Ford. And here's another story that's often told about Ford that, again, probably was made up. But the story goes like this, that the, something went wrong with the conveyor belt in one of his factories. And he needed someone to fix it. He sent his mechanics in. They couldn't work out what was wrong with it. They fiddled with it and fiddled with it and fiddled with it. Couldn't work it out. Eventually, he sent for the man who designed the conveyor belt. And the man who designed the, the manufacturer, designed the machine, came in, looked around for a couple of minutes, poked something, it started working, and off it went. And Henry Ford says, that was amazing. The man says, I'll send you my bill. Henry Ford gets a bill a few weeks later, a week later, for $10,000. $10,000 for five minutes' work. He writes to the man and says, this is ridiculous. Can I have a breakdown of what you did? $10,000 for five minutes tinkering. And the bill came back this saying, $10 for my time, $9,990 for knowing where to tinker. Okay knowing where to tinker. For our new Australians or people who are new to English, to tinker with something means to fiddle with it until it works. That's what tinkering means. It means to fiddle with it till it works. Now, this is a probably a made-up story, but it's a good story because it reminds us that more important than working hard or knowing what, that more important than spending time on something is knowing what you're doing. More important than all the shouting and yelling and hitting and mechanics is actually knowing what you're doing. $9,990 for knowing where to tinker. And this reminded me of the verses from Isaiah. For Isaiah, God says through the prophet Isaiah, he says to the people, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Your ways are my, not my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God says through the prophet, he says to the people, whatever you think about me, I'm beyond that. However big you think I am, I'm bigger. However clever you think I am, I'm cleverer. So God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. I'm as far beyond you as the heavens are above the earth. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus has been teaching the people as he goes about the kingdom of God. Let's read the verse again together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. 
Repent and believe the good news. And so Jesus has been demonstrating the kingdom of God through his miracles, through his teaching, through all the things he's been doing. Over the last few weeks in chapter 6, we've seen that Jesus demonstrates that he is the prophet that Moses had predicted long before would come. And so Jesus, by feeding the 5,000, by walking on the water, shows that he is the prophet that Moses said would come. This causes him some trouble, and the religious leaders come down from Jerusalem and start investigating him. And so in chapter 7, we read last week that Jesus left the country. Things were getting too hot, too stressful, too troublesome. It wasn't time, and so he left the country. And he stewards the secret, this messianic secret. He's, he knows how to keep control of the temperature in the country. He doesn't want things to boil over until he's ready for it. So he leaves the country for a little bit to let things calm down. And it didn't work out quite as he intended because someone found out he was there. So Jesus was almost forced to make a miracle which he didn't want to make. And as soon as he'd done it, he packed up and left, which is where we find ourselves this morning. Beginning verse says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Capitalists. We talked briefly about this last week. Here's our map to remind us of these things. These are real places with real people. The Mediterranean Sea. Uh, down here is the Sea of Galilee where Jesus has spent most of his ministry recorded in the Gospel of Mark. He's gone out of the country up here to between Tyre and Sidon, uh, out of Israel, over the Golan Heights up here. And then he performs the miracle for the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, casts the demon out of her daughter and immediately packs up and goes. Verse 31 tells us he went up to Sidon and back down again to the Sea of Galilee to the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis isn't marked on this map, but it's sort of this area here bordering on the Sea of Galilee called the Decapolis because there are ten towns there. The Dec, Pen, Polis, Pen, for towns. We've heard this word before. We've heard Jesus come to this part before, and if you've got your Bibles there, you might like to flick back to Matthew 5. Verses 1 to 20, where Jesus encountered a demon-possessed man. He's gone into the region of the Gergesenes, the region of the Gerasenes, the region of the Ten Towns. And he heals this man, casts the demons out of him. You remember, he puts the demons into the pigs. The pigs decide it's better off being dead than having anything to do with the devil, so they drown themselves in the, in the sea. And Jesus is going to go into the area, but the people of that area are frightened of him. And they say to Jesus, please don't come any further. Please get back in the boat. Please go back to where you've come from. And the demon-possessed man wants to come with Jesus. But verse 19 says, Jesus said to the man, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So Jesus has been to this area before the Decapolis, but the people told him, we're scared of you, go away. So Jesus is a gentleman. He lets them be, he says, okay, fair enough. I'll come back in a couple of months. And he leaves that man who'd been delivered behind to tell the message about him. So when Jesus makes that long trek up through Tyre and Sidon and back down and comes into the Decapolis from the back door, 
everybody seems to have heard about Jesus. And this time, rather than being terrified of him, they bring their sick. They bring the people to him. They bring everyone they can to him. And we meet this particular man with a problem. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf, could hardly talk. They begged Jesus to place his hand on them. A deaf and mute man. We've not encountered this before in all the miracles that Jesus has done. He's healed the deaf. He's healed the blind. He's healed the lepers. He's done all sorts of amazing things. He's cast demons out of people. This is the first time that someone is specifically mentioned as being deaf and mute or deaf and hardly able to speak. They begged Jesus to place his hand on the man. And we've seen this again and again in miracles, that some friends will bring someone with a problem to Jesus, they beg Jesus, they fall at his feet, they ask for his help. Here they're just asking, Jesus, place your hand on this man and you'll fix him. Place your hand on him and it'll be right. Your miracle power will solve this man's problems. But Jesus took him away, took him aside, away from the crowd. Took him away from the crowd. We know there's a crowd because it's mentioned there, but also in Matthew's version of this story, which is a much shorter version, Mark is the only gospel that records this story in full. Matthew just gives us a shortened version. Matthew's version of this says, Jesus left there, that is Tyre and Sidon, went along the Sea of Galilee, went up on a mountainside and sat down, and great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others laid them at his feet, and he healed them. People were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing. They praised the God of Israel. That's Matthew's version of this story. In Mark's version, we get more details specifically about how Jesus deals with this deaf and mute man. He took him aside. He took him aside, away from the crowd. Why does he do this? Well, we've seen Jesus tell, keep things secret before or do things on the down low before because he's stewarding his messianic secret. Yes, he wants people to know that he's the Messiah. Yes, he wants them to believe that he's the Son of God, but not just yet. He's being careful with this secret because if he gets it out too fast, too quickly, He'll be killed at the wrong time. He'll be killed in the wrong way. And so oftentimes Jesus tells people, don't tell anyone, or I'm not ready to help you yet, or whatever. We talked about last week, he wasn't ready to help the Gentiles yet. wasn't the right time for that. His mission is more important than that need of that individual. But when his heart breaks for that person, he bends his own rules sometimes. We'll talk about why he's, this is bending a rule in a minute. He's stewarding his secret, takes this person aside, puts his fingers in his ears, spat on the ground, touched the man's tongue, does all these strange sort of things, and we talked about it in the kids' time. It's not explained to us in the gospel why he does this, and so any answer we give must be speculation, but I think the idea that Jesus is using sign language to comfort, calm the man, makes sense. Saying to the man, it's okay. I know you've got a problem with your ear. I know you've got a problem with your tongue. I know there's something inside you you need to get rid of, spitting on the ground. 
It's okay. God is on your side. Look up to heaven with that deep sigh. Okay, relax. Okay, that's how I understand it. And then says to him that most tricky word for us English speakers, ephatha, which means be opened. Jesus could have just put his hand on him and said, be opened and be done with it. But instead, he takes the time with this individual, treats him as a human being, engages with him on a one-on-one level, calms his fear, says, God knows all about you. God wants to heal you. Ephatha, be open. And as a result, at this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loose. He began to speak plainly. The Greek word here for the word his tongue was loose is actually uh, the word his tongue was untied. Very graphic sort of word. His tongue was untied and those things that were holding him bound and making it really hard for him to speak were taken away. He was able to speak plainly. His ears were healed. He was able to speak plainly. How did he know to speak? Well, that's one of those funny things. Was was this a disease that came on him later in life? And so he'd learned to speak as a child and then had been stopped as an adult? We don't know. There are stories of people who are completely deaf, who learn to make the right sounds by watching other people's mouths and how they move, to the point where I heard a story uh, recently of a uh, professor who was giving a lecture and started digressing and started telling, uh, she was deaf, I need to point that out, this this woman was completely deaf and had learnt to speak by um, just moving her lips the way other people move their lips and making sort of sounds and and agreeing with them. She was telling some story about her childhood and said, oh, you probably wouldn't understand that. And someone in the audience said, no, I understand. I grew up in that town. I grew up in the same town as you. I grew up in Brooklyn. And the professor said to them, how do you know that I'm from New York? And the person says, because of your accent. And the deaf professor says, but I'm deaf. I've never heard a New York accent. I have no idea how New York people sound. And they said, well, the way you move your lips and the words that come out, you've got a New York accent. We know where you're from. And this professor was completely astounded. So maybe it's a similar situation here. This man has been watching others speak. You can't hear them, but maybe from his whole life he's been trying to make the words and failing. Now that his tongue is untied, tongue was loosed, begins to speak. He may even have the local accent. Miracles of God. tongue was loosed, he began to speak plainly. Jesus commands them, look, don't tell anyone. This is one of those miracles where I don't want anyone to know this one, this particular one happened. We've met this before when Jesus healed the leper in chapter, I think it's cha- end of chapter one or chapter two, he says to the leper, don't tell anyone. What does the leper do? He tells everyone. And as a result, Jesus can't go into the crowd. Here, Jesus has taken this specific man aside for this specific reason, healed him quietly off here, dealing with him as an individual, and then said, just keep this one quiet. And instead, 
they went out and told it. The more he said to them, guys, don't tell them about that one, the more they kept talking about it. Jesus is trying to steward his messianic secret. He's trying to keep some of these things secret until the right time. Why is this miracle the miracle that needs to be kept secret? He's doing all the other things that we read about in Matthew before. He's healing the lame and fixing the blind and doing all those other things. But the specific reality that this man is mute is something new that needs to be kept secret. People were overwhelmed with amazement. This was something shocking. This was something new. He's done everything well, they said. He's done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The verse there about he has done everything well seems to be a reflection back to the Genesis story. He has done everything well. Genesis, the creation story, ends with God saying, God saw that all he had made and it was very good. It was morning and evening, the sixth day. God looks at his creation and sees that everything he's made is very good. So when these people look at Jesus, they say, he's done everything good. He's done everything well. Pointing back to the creation, he's putting things back the way they should be. And John will tell us in his gospel that this Jesus, through Jesus all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the creator. He knows exactly what's wrong with this man because he made ears. He made tongue. He made the way people should speak and hear. And so when he sees something wrong, he knows exactly where to tinker. He knows exactly what to do and how to fix it. That's a little bit about that part. They're amazed because he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Why is this the amazing thing? Well, in Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 35, there is a prophecy coming of a new day, a new dawn, where everything will be set right. Everything will be completed. The Messiah will come and everything will be resolved. And in Isaiah chapter 35, I encourage you to read the whole chapter. It's a beautiful passage. But in the middle, it's this prediction. It says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened. Tick. Jesus has done that before. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Tick. We've seen that before. And then the lame will leap like a deer. Tick. We've seen that before. Jesus has told the paralyzed to rise up and walk. And the mute tongue shout for joy. Until this time, this is the first time we read in Mark's Gospel of Jesus completing the tick sheet. Tick. The mute will shout for joy. And so Jesus has done four of the four miracles that that Isaiah says will be the mark of the new Messiah. When the Messiah comes, the blind eyes will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. And in doing this, Jesus has ticked the fourth of those healing miracles. And so for people who know their scriptures, who know their Old Testaments, who know the predictions about the Messiah, Jesus has now ticked them all. Ticked them all. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone because I don't want them to know just yet that I've done these things. 
This is important. Jesus is trying to steward this messianic secret until just the right time, but it gets out. It leaks the news. And ironically, the man who can speak is now the one who's speaking. This miracle that gives a voice is the thing that Jesus doesn't want them to talk about. It gets out. And the religious leaders go, stories are starting to spread that this man is the Messiah. And from here on in, as we come into chapter 8, we will see again and again more and more persecution, more and more problems for Jesus as he carefully shepherds that secret till just the right time. Are there any questions this morning about anything I've spoken about this week or over the previous week? Is there anything that stands out to you from the scriptures you'd like to ask me about today? Dudley, I'm glad you're back, Dudley. What's your question, mate? Hmm? Wasn't healed, yes. So that, is there a question? <laughs> Why? Yes. Yes, sure. So Dudley's, uh, for those who couldn't hear the question, Dudley was saying it's remarkable. The scriptures we've read, the songs we've sung this morning, we've read the scripture about the man being healed, is deafness. And then we've sung the song of Fanny Crosby, who was deaf uh, and wasn't healed. Yes? That, have I got the... She was blind. Blind. Okay, sorry. Blind. Um, but yes, there are people who aren't healed here and today. And so, yes, which is more important, to be near the cross or to be physically healed? And, Sally, did you choose that song purposely for that reason or was it just coincidence this morning? It's... Coming up, yeah? So this, and these are great questions, yes. Uh, Maureen, you're going to answer or you got another question? I was going to try, try and answer, but you go, Maureen. Go. Who are they? Okay. All right. So, so Maureen's question was saying that Jesus took him aside by himself and healed him, and then they went out and told the news. Maureen's asking who the they is. They were told not to say anything. Yes. So I think the they is probably the friends of the man who brought him to Jesus, probably. But the people who've come to Jesus with this man, knowing that Jesus can help them, they've heard the story of the demoniac, the man who was healed of the legion of demons. And they say, if Jesus can fix his problem, then he can fix our friend as well. Jesus says to them, don't tell anyone, and they went out. That's probably the answer. But the scriptures aren't telling us that specifically. You need to get. Probably isn't the disciples, because the disciples have learnt to keep their mouths shut, more or less, up to this point. But they, the friends of this man. Coming back to what Dudley was asking about, yes, so which is more important, to be healed physically or to be healed spiritually? 
Of course, the answer is to be healed spiritually. We know that in this world, this man here, he died. He got old and he died. And all the healing in the world will keep us going for a bit, but eventually we're going to fall apart. I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is that everyone in this room is going to die. The good news is everyone in this room is going to die. Because who would want to be 200 years old and have your body fall apart every single day? You know, eventually we're going to wake up in the new creation. We're going to wake up in front of Jesus with new bodies and a new way, no more sin, no more death and destruction. We're going to wake up in the new Jerusalem, have access to the tree of life. We can keep on chewing on those on the fruit of the tree of life for all of eternity and be restored and remade. So, yes, we absolutely should keep praying for people as they fall apart here on the earth, trying to patch them up and keep them going and pray for healing. And sometimes healing happens and sometimes it doesn't. But the fact that it doesn't happen doesn't mean we should stop praying. Let me ask you a question. Of all the people buried in the cemetery, how many of them went there via the hospital? Almost all of them. Yes? Does that mean that hospitals don't work? No, hospitals are wonderful things. They patch us up and keep us going and keep us going until they can't anymore and then they put us in the ground. And so it should be with us when we pray for people as well. We should absolutely pray for people to be healed and fixed and restored. But we should also know that ultimately we're not Jesus. Jesus knows exactly where to tinker, exactly what to fix, exactly what to put his finger on. And if he comes with us and is his will that that person be healed in that specific way, yes, it will happen. We should keep on praying. You got a question, Mary? Oh, and another question. We've got lots of questions this morning. Lucky it's a short message. Hmm. Yes, I can. Yes, okay. Yes. Yes. So Mary is us saying, I'm not, there's no question there again. It's a question time, not a conversation time. No. So Mary was saying, uh, let me try and summarize that. So you're saying that, that God has a purpose in both healing people to display his power and show what he can do, but he also has a purpose in not healing people to grow people's faith or to use them as an example or different things. Yes. And that's, that's the common Christian perception. And, yes, I'm not going to disagree with that publicly, so I may quietly private. Um, I think that God's will is always to heal. He always wants to heal. His nature is to be good. But his mission is beyond that. Okay? So, yes, I agree with what you're saying. I agree with the words you've said, but not what you meant. <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say. I apologize. No, I, I, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you 99% of the way, except to say that I believe it's always God's will to heal, to always want the best for us, but to know that eventually the best thing for us to do is to go into the ground and wake up in, in paradise. So if he kept on patching us up every day and healing us every time we prayed, we'd never get to stand before Jesus. Ultimately, God, the good Father, says, I love you so much, the best thing I can let you do is die. And that's a, that sounds like a horrible thing to say. Yes, depends what we mean by healing. You had a question, Voita? Nice and loud because I'm deaf. Ah, I'm deaf. You better pray for me. 
Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry, I'm not listening to you up the back. I'm listening to Voita down here, not you. Sorry, sorry, Veronica. I, I, my apologies. I'm looking here, and not, I'll come to you in a minute, Veronica. If that's all right. Sorry. Why is the timing important? Is it to align with something else that's happening in the world? Um, no, I think Jesus just has his finger on the pulse of what's going on in his society at the time, and he knows that he's he's got to he fulfill all the biblical prophecies properly. He needs to die on that Good Friday in, in Jerusalem in just the right way and just the right time. So he's always looking for the timing of things, and he's trying to guard that mess that secret of who he is. He'll reveal it eventually. It's coming up in chapter eight. Let's just skip ahead a bit. In chapter 8, which we'll get to on first Advent, the first uh, four Sundays before Easter, someone, Peter, is going to say, he's going to say to his disciples, who do you say I am? Chapter 8, verse 29, and Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And from there, it's the road to the cross. Once his disciples have come to the full realization of who Jesus is, then he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's been guarding that secret. Until that's that time. I don't think it's to do with external times of eclipses or whatever. I think he's just got his pulse on the, what's going around him and he's listening to the voice of his father. Well, and by perhaps these people, by spreading the news too quickly, have sped up Jesus' timetable, or perhaps he needs to step back from ministry a while again. Maybe he'll go back out in the wilderness again for a little bit, all those sorts of things. So, yes, good question. Sorry, I had Veronica. Got confused with Boeda. What did you have a question, Veronica? A comment. I don't take comments. Only questions. It says question, but go for it. What's your What's your comment? Nice and loud. I'm deaf. Fanny Crosby. Yes. Yes. So the comment is: If Fanny Crosby hadn't been blind, would she have written all those wonderful hymns? Um, and then the question comes, did God make her blind so she would write all those wonderful hymns, or did God just use the fact that she was blind to encourage her, to help her, to work through that situation? And we could have all sorts of conversations around that. I don't think God causes the bad things to happen to us, but when the bad things happen to us, he absolutely can redeem them and use them and restore them and make something good out of it. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. But that doesn't mean that God is the one making you go blind or killing your children or causing boats to sink. I mean, we, we sing the beautiful song, It Is Well With My Soul. The man wrote that song because his children drowned in that spot in the Atlantic a year before. I don't think God sunk that boat so he would write the hymn. I think God made that hymn to be written as a way of that man dealing with the situation of what had happened. Terrible thing. One more question up the back. Yes, Lay. Yes, sure. Why is that? So Lay is asking about people who are born deaf or born with problems. Has God made them wrong? Has he done it deliberately? 
all those sort of questions. Is that sort of what you're getting at? For that, let's go to the book. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So why is the world winding down? Why are things getting worse? Are things getting worse? Um, Genesis chapter 3 and the creation, everything's been made perfect. Everything is very good. If, if we had continued on with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, not eating the free of tree, tree of fruit and good knowledge and all that sort of stuff, people would never have been born blind or deaf or lame or whatever, diabetes, all those things wouldn't have come in. But in chapter 3, what happens? Man and his wife break God's commandments and sin comes into the world. And there's a whole series of curses that come on the earth. And things start falling apart from there. They've gotten worse and worse and worse. And I think they're still getting worse today. See, when Adam and Eve were designed, their DNA, the way that God had made them, was perfect. It was exactly right. So their children were 99.9% right. And their children were 99.9.8% right, or whatever. When you copy something again and again and again, distortions come in. Things get worse and worse and worse. And you could talk about the answers in Genesis. Folk have some excellent resources on this. Um, those of us who are old enough to remember cassette tapes, if you took a cassette tape and then made a copy of a cassette tape, the quality would get worse. And if you made another copy again onto another cassette tape, the quality would get worse, and so on and so on and so on. And so today, however many thousand years later, of humans copying each other and copying, more and more errors creep into our genetic code. And particularly as we marry our cousins uh, and different things like that happens. Like if, how to say this without being offensive. White people need to marry black people if only to get the genes back mixed together good, okay? Did I say that in great? Jordan is a great, you're beautiful children here. They're wonderful examples of, you know, a bit of brown, a bit of white, smush them together, beautiful. Your children will be healthy for generations to come. But if us white people just keep marrying white people and copying that same bit of tape over and over again, the genetic faults are going to get worse and worse and worse through the generation. Yes? So I'm all for all the races and all the people from all the countries of the earth marrying and having children because we'll have beautiful, healthy children. Does that make sense? I'm getting into some very strange, weird positions here. I am pro-brown children. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm for it. I think it's great. I hope that all of my children marry someone brown because they're beautiful grandkids. It's going to be wonderful. So if anyone has children, nice black babies, who want to marry my nice white babies and make brown babies together, we'll talk about the dowry. Okay. <laughs> All of that to say, thank you. Does that answer your question? I think that just by natural course of us not having access to that tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden, tree of life is in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were free to eat of it. And I believe that as they ate it, their bodies were restored and made new. And that was mentioned again in Revelation, that in Revelations, in the new Jerusalem, in the new creation, we're going to have access to that again. And until then, things are just going to keep falling apart. Wow, that was a lot of questions. Lucky it was a short message, so we had time for the questions. Talk a little bit about our faith. Things. If there are more questions, I love these questions. I love the conversation. If I've offended you, by the way, please speak to me. It was not my intention to offend anyone uh, by talking about brown babies specifically. Um, where was I going? Faith fingers. 
What do we learn from this scripture, from this passage that talks us about how we can grow? Well, first of all, the faith, our, first, our faith fingers talk about how we grow our faith. Well, there's a time for private time alone with Jesus. Jesus took this man aside by himself and dealt with him one-on-one. And there are times when we need to go aside with Jesus one-on-one and let him deal with us. Point out to us the things that need to be gotten rid of, the things that need to be fixed. To hear him encourage us. To hear him look to his Father in heaven and go, it's going to be okay. We need to spend that private time with the Lord. The importance of that trusted person who we can go deep with. Jesus has that trusted relationship with this man here and his trusted friends. The importance of the small group, the group who find their friend and bring him to Jesus, who find this man in need and say, we got to get our friend to Jesus. I encourage you to find a small group. If you're not part of a Bible study, if you're not part of some small group, do it. Join up. Men are starting a Bible study group on a Thursday night, 6 o'clock. All men are welcome. Except for you, Ken. No. Sorry, Ken. You're very welcome. I'm making fun of you because you're my cousin. See, this is an example. This man here is my cousin. Can you tell that? We look the same. Imagine if your grandmother had married a nice black woman, Ken. How good looking would we be then? We'd be good looking. Anyway, wasn't it? I've got a story about that, but I won't tell it. Um, what was I saying? Small group. Be a part of a small group. Point people towards Jesus. Be, that's the mission, is to point people towards Jesus. You encounter someone who's got a need or a problem, you say, I can't fix your problem, but I know someone who can. Point them towards Jesus. Bring them to him. Bring people towards Jesus. The importance of church, of gathering together to worship. In Matthew, we've got this wonderful picture of the crowds gathering at the feet of Jesus, bringing their problems, and Jesus just dealing with them all. That's a picture of church. That's a picture of church. None of us are perfect. If you're perfect, get out. This church doesn't belong to you. Church is for people who are broken and have problems and need to come to Jesus. Good news, that's all of us. We gather together imperfectly with our problems, bring them to Jesus. Jesus pokes us in the ears and touches us on the tongues and spits out the bad stuff and says, it's okay, be open, be healed, be restored. Father God, this morning I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for who he is and what he has done. Father God, as we have examined and followed the life of Jesus, his miracles, his healings, his teachings through the Gospel of Mark, Father God, I pray that these words would come real to our hearts. We would encounter the real and living Jesus. Father God, I thank you that Jesus had compassion on that man, dealt with him as an individual, communicated your love, your grace, and your mercy, was able to bring healing. Father God, help us to bring your healing to those around us. Help us to pray for those we know who are sick, the lame and the deaf and the mute and the leper and all those we encounter. Father God, even when we don't see results from our prayers, encourage our hearts to keep on trying in faith. We know that you are good. We believe it is your will that we should always be healed. Father God, we also know that you have a plan for us that goes beyond This 24-7 goes beyond this physical earth. Father God, we thank you for that plan. 
We think of our brothers and sisters who are unwell, perhaps will wake up in glory any day now. Father God, give us courage for that day. Help us to cross that river with faith, knowing that you are the God who loves us and wants what's best. We trust you, Lord God. If there's anyone here this morning who does not trust you in a real and personal way, speak to their heart. Holy Spirit, come and convict, rebuke, and draw them closer to you. Bring them feet of Jesus today. We pray all this in his precious and powerful name, Jesus, our Saviour, our Messiah, our Healer. Amen and Amen. Amen.